0: We're talking about breakthrough at the moment, we're in the, in, the, in the middle or the first third of a season of prayer and fasting. So many of us are fasting a day or two a week or something for the whole time like social media or TV or chocolate. That went quiet. That went down really well. And, uh, and so we really are seeking God for breakthrough in various areas. Breakthrough for healing in people's lives. Like I believe you had Lynn's testimony last week. God is the God that caused even long-term sickness to an end. And there comes a moment when we break through. So whether it's your finances or your body not cooperating in the way you wish it would. Or uh, uh, houses or um, uh, uh, job. Uh, situations or church situations or city or region or nation, God is the God who breaks through into new things. Amen. And if you're anything like me, you're uh, usually always in need of some kind of breakthrough. And so it does say we go from glory to glory. I would also say we go from breakthrough to breakthrough as we uh, inhabit and possess all that God's promised for us. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that this morning and hopefully uh, help you and inspire you. Can I have my first slide, please, Sam? Well, the second one. There you go. I want to talk for a few moments. about the struggle. Let me just read some scripture. I do sometimes put quite long pieces of scripture in, and this is only the first slide of many. Um, but I, I think largely uh, we're not quite as into reading our Bible as much as we used to be. Here's the secret of reading your Bible. The more you read it, the more you'll want to. Yeah. And so I purposefully will sometimes just read So you go, oh, wow, I I didn't know that was there. That's interesting. And it kind of piques your interest. Uh, So this week, I I would encourage you, uh, because we're looking at Hebrews 11 and 12, just in the first part of of this talk. Um, You want somebody to go read this week? I've already given you, because you're thinking, well, I don't know where to start. Go read Hebrews 11 and 12. Fantastic. Let me read you some of it. This is the second half of Hebrews 11. The first half, we're essentially going through the hall of fame of our heroes of faith. And this is the second half of it. Uh, He's talked about all kinds of people like Abraham and Noah and people like that. And then verse 32 continues. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness, hey, listen to this, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became 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 you might not feel it now but everybody yeah. say became, became. Yeah. say i'm gonna became <laughs> And all the English teachers said, oh, no. Uh, (laughs) And who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be relieved so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not. Not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. If we go to the next slide. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such amazing people yeah. who learn to turn their weakness to strength who became strong enough to defeat what at first was defeating them. Was good. Yeah. Therefore, since we're surrounded by people like Abraham and, uh, and Abel and, uh, and, and uh, Noah and Gideon and Samson and David, since we're surrounded, they're, they're, they're looking over the cinema right now going, go for it, guys. Yeah. We did it. We yeah. did it without the gospel. You can do it. We did it without the Holy Spirit in us. You can do it. Right? We worked all this out without the indwelling written word of God in our hearts. We just did it with a a rule book and an empowerment from the outside. But you guys have got God inside of you. The hope of glory. Christ in you is in you. Therefore, since you're surrounded by guys that had a harder time than we had. Right? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin. There's just some stuff that hinders, means stuff that sticks out, that protrudes, that's a burden. Put down your burdens as well as your sins. In other words, it's not a sin, but it's still getting in my way. It's still tripping me up from running how I really want to run. Has anybody got stuff in their lives? You know it's not a sin, but you know, if you're honest and you sat down with a pad and a pen and spent some quiet moments, you go, this really does slow me down from what my heart really feels I should. should do. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There's a race marked for you. Don't run someone else's race. It's a relay race. So don't just think, you know, I've, I've got to do it all. You're, you're part of the echo of God's purpose through the yeah. earth over centuries. What is the 40, 60, 80 year race that you have to run? Run the race marked out for you. How? Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or author and perfecter of our faith. God isn't into perfection. Do you know the Jewish language does not have the word perfect in it? It doesn't exist. It, it literally means maturer. So don't think Western perfectionism, the maturer of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you'll not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle, everybody say struggle. Struggle. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He did, right? But we've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And I And and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. The last little phrase there, endure hardship as discipline. Uh, The first part of my message today is to say, it's okay to struggle. In fact, if you're struggling, you're doing something right. If I meet a Christian that doesn't struggle, I would go, well, you're not on the devil's radar. You're not pressing against anything that's difficult. You're not trying to take any ground off the enemy. You're living an irrelevant life. You're just too happy. (laughs) Good Christians are supposed to be struggling with sin. When somebody comes up to me and admits I'm struggling with sin, I say, well done. It's those that completely couldn't care less that worry me. Right? When a young man comes up, I'm struggling with lust. I say, yes, absolutely. Of course you are. You've got hormones racing around your body. You're supposed to be struggling with sin. The good news is you will overcome one day. Yeah. Right? But if you struggle with sin, it's, it's normal. Yeah. If you're struggling to get your prayer life going, it's normal. Yeah. We all do. It means you're trying. It means you're not happy with the status quo of just sitting back in it being easy. You're supposed to struggle. Good. It's a struggle. Right, if you're struggling with identity issues, great! Because it means you're trying to find God's identity for you. And every one of us born with an ignoble heart is trying to get the rubbish thinking out of us and the good thinking into us. We're trying to become like Christ. The struggle is good. If you're struggling financially good, it means God's probably at work in your finances. He's probably teaching you about tithing and giving and generosity and how it opens the windows of heaven. And you're trying to get your life and your family into all of that. The struggle is normal. The struggle is good. If you're struggling for clarity, great. It probably means you're coming up against a few demons. right? I I can't quite see which way to go. Good. That means you're trying to go somewhere. The struggle is the thing of good, prudent, wise Christians. Don't feel down if you struggle. You'll have plenty of seasons when you don't, but you're going to struggle at times. Amen. Anybody encouraged by that? Everyone in this room that is after God is going to struggle and go, I don't quite know what to do. I don't quite know where to go. This doesn't quite make sense. I don't understand this bit of theology. I don't understand what's happening in my finances. I don't understand this conflict in my relationships. That is the normal place of Christians that are going after everything God has for them. If you you know that Hebrews 11 that we read just before, it's full of struggle, but they refuse to give up. The struggle is normal. Why is the struggle normal? Go to my next slide. The struggle is normal because, well, sometimes it's just because, right? You know, things just take time. We need to learn. We need to grow. But I I want to just touch on the whole spiritual aspect of the world that we live in. And we've seen it thrown all over our our, uh, news the last three weeks. Our struggle. First line up there. For our struggle, so again, it's okay to struggle. We're, oh, we're wrestling, we're struggling. It's not against flesh and blood. Understand, and I'm not saying everything. I don't want you to see spiritual principalities behind every teapot and every struggle. Sometimes it's just life. Sometimes it's just, you know, things take time and we're a bit microwave, aren't we, these days? We want it straight away. And Sometimes things just take time. Sometimes we've been dumb. Anybody been there? Just me, oh, and whoever that was. Uh, (laughs) Just the two of us. So, uh, but also I want want us to recognize this. We do struggle, not against flesh and blood. Some of it's just not natural, but against rulers. What are they? Authorities, powers of, of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There, the, the, the Bible shows us if, if we read on, for in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. There's an invisible realm. Yeah. Uh, where the thrones, there's, there's invisible thrones in the invisible realm. There's powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. But we know we're in a fallen world that's a bit messed up, right? So yeah. stuff's going on. You get stories like Daniel's, Praying and he sets himself to pray, and then eventually Michael turns up and says, Hey, I've been, I set off as soon as you started praying, but Michael, the prince of Persia, uh, sorry, uh, the prince of Persia came against me, and so I was fighting in the spiritual realm. And you know, we would kind of go, Uh huh, uh-huh. don't know what that means. But there are, there are spiritual principalities and powers in the heavenlies over regions, over cities, over areas, uh, things happen over lives and over. People, okay, there's a whole invisible realm. Are are you with me on that? And so we've got a struggle that that connects to the spiritual realm. Here's the great thing, if we read the next one, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over the cross. So Jesus disarmed them, but we now have to take the ground where the toothless roaring lion is still roaring, right? But here's the great thing, Jesus disarmed it. And Ephesians 3, verse 10, his intent was now through the church, the manifold, the the varied wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. In other words, the church is here to speak into our realm here in Hull. This is God's will. Stand back, enemy. This is God's will, right? And to bring God's will to pass on the earth. Uh, And then the last scripture there, 2 Corinthians 10, verse four, the weapons we fight with, are not the weapons of the world. We don't attack each other. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish, to demolish Sorry, strongholds. We are fighting a spiritual battle. Um, and this goes on, like I say, in nations, regions, cities. Uh, I've even walked into homes and you go, something over this home. Increasingly, uh, in 27 years of ministry, I've prayed now for thousands upon thousands of people to be healed. I have to say, increasingly over the last few years, I've noticed again and again how often sickness is spiritual. Yeah. And I, I, you, know, you meet someone and they had an accident 20 years ago. And medically, they can't find anything wrong with them, but they're still in agony. And, I, and, and then I'm looking at them going, somehow, work with me and don't get scared by this. But in the trauma of that tragedy a door was opened for the enemy. And what's left is a spiritual residual stronghold of the enemy. doesn't mean that all trauma or tragedy brings the enemy, but our heart state opens up and we give a foothold, as Ephesians puts it, to the enemy. And I meet people all the time. I met met someone recently who was bereaved and they were going through a sickness and it was from the time of a bereavement. And I looked at it, didn't know the person at all, but I looked and immediately felt in my spirit, spiritual. And so I literally prayed over that thing like a demonic influence. She wasn't possessed, but like a dark cloud over this person's life. And immediately they were healed. Yeah. Yeah. There are forces that come into our lives through times of trauma, tragedy, abuse, yeah. that, that can Open doors to difficult times. I remember going through a difficult time myself and I was chatting to a a really great man of God and a friend and a real man of faith. And I was being a bit wimpy about some of the things I was saying and he looked at me in the eyes and he said, don't you dare let in a spirit of fear. In other words, my human fear, he could see, my human fear could open a door to the work of the enemy. If faith attracts angels in heaven and God and good, what does fear attract? What does anxiety attract? What does a repeated door open of phobias attract? Essentially, the demonic realm. And so we can end up with stuff in our lives that started out as a little natural fear that the, is, a, is a little door for the enemy. And he comes and he tries to build in our lives. I want you to know this morning, God has overcome every work of the enemy. And he's uh, Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. At the name of Jesus, I, I'm not by any means talking all sickness at all, but sometimes we have to be open and realize, hang on a minute, this is spiritual. Yeah. I've had stuff, I don't know about you, but my position, and whoever occupies this position after me would face the same thing. My position of authority in this church has certain demonic attacks connected to it. Joy of joys, right? So sometimes I'm like, I can just feel this thing come over me like a dark blanket. And I want you to understand scripturally, a person has walked into my room to bring me down, to steal, kill and destroy. Because if he can affect me, and it goes to say, if you're leader of any area, there may well be attack connected to that area. We need to realize, when I feel that down discouragement come on me, I I have to realize, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. This isn't me just eating the wrong kind of cheese last night. Something's walked into my room and I'm not going to have it. There are things that go on. There are spiritual paths. I was chatting to someone while I was in the States about taking new ground. And guys, here on Kingswood, we're taking new ground. To to actually come along and physically put a church building on land that hasn't been touched by the spirit and presence of God and the kingdom of God yet is taking new ground literally. And so uh, it's no surprise that this has been a journey that's been a struggle, but we're going to win. Right, God's going to win. We're we're here to take ground, not to sit back. We're here to take ground. And I remember Phil Pringle, a great minister that I admire, talking about him putting his new building in. They went through all kinds of pain and difficulty. They paid for land they literally could not use for years. Everybody rose up against them. And one day he said, I I suddenly recognised over this region that we're trying to go into. He was in a church service and suddenly he saw a demonic presence. And he said, you know, I think he said hadn't happened before, never happened since. It was one of those one-off things. And he knew this is the demon coming against me, taking that land. There is a spiritual thing going on. So he began to speak the word of God out. And as he spoke, he said, I saw the demonic presence just shrink a little bit. And then I, I spoke again, and it shrunk a little bit. Then I sang a few words, and it shrunk a little bit. Then I sang a bit more, and these chains started to wrap around this demonic influence. So I kept going, and I kept going, and I kept going. And within days of doing this, you saw it shrink to the ground and shrivel powerless. Within days, everything moved through for their land to come to fulfillment. And in fact, the prime minister of their country, who had been against them, moving the church into this new area, came and opened the building. There are demonic forces allocated to politicians and people of power. Don't, don't think it'd be fun to go into number 10. Yeah. There are demons attached to number 10. Yeah. And, and every other place of authority, yeah. unless the kingdom comes in and cleans them up. Yeah. It says, right, we're going to bring the presence of God to this place. Yeah. Um, th- th- there's sometimes demonic stuff uh, attached to, um, to churches demonic attack. Uh, if any of you were up, I think it was one event where Jeff Lucas told this story. He was preaching in this, in this church. Didn't really say where, I don't think. And um, they were in the worship before he got up to preach. And his wife, who is, who is more prophetic than he is, I think he would say, but you know, not overly prone to this sort of thing, turned and looked. There's a big balcony in this place that I think was fairly empty. And she turned to him and said, uh, can you see the demons on the balcony?" And they're not these kind of people at all. Do you know what I mean? They're not like super seeing things everywhere. And, and Jeff was like, mm, nope. Yeah. Okay. Do do doo do Cuckoo. You know, so uh, yeah, bless you. And um, so then he, he, he got up to, to preach and he did his stuff and it was, it was okay and it ended. And they, you know, slowly everybody ushered out the hall and, and left. And then just when it was the pastor and Jeff and his wife were left, the pastor said, now I've got you on your own. Can I just ask you to come up to the balcony and pray with me? And, uh, you know, the wife was like, mm, I wonder why that is. And, uh, uh, and Jeffrey, yes, why? He said, well, there was a time when the choir rose up against my leadership. It was either my leadership or a former pastor. And they gathered on the balcony and plotted against the pastor. And ever since then, people that come and do sit on the balcony say there's a strange kind of presence up there. And uh, so, you know, the wife is really nudging Jeff now. Yes, 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 we need to go pray. And they went up and they prayed on the balcony and the thing broke. There are things attached to our activities. Uh, Rebellion attracts demons. It attracts something into our lives. Um, uh, Fear attracts the demonic. Anxiety attracts it. Um, And it just, it often just starts in the human But then opens it, just like faith opens the windows of heaven and in comes all of God's blessing. When we get trapped in fear, it pulls in the work of the enemy. But our weapons are powerful for demolishing strongholds. Amen. Whether it's a personal attack, a church attack, a city attack, a regional attack or or whatever. um, God has called us to clear atmospheres. I, 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 by the end of th- this meeting, I want the atmosphere in your home cleansed. Yes. Vicki and I, a, a, ever since we went through some, some difficult times a couple of years ago, we play praise and worship in our house 24 hours a day because we are there to, to sustain a spiritual atmosphere of the presence of God. Uh, you've got to watch the atmosphere in your home in your car you carry an atmosphere into work you of course are a temple you you i want the atmosphere in you to be transformed you you weren't made to carry fears and don't think well i was just born shy listen i know that some introversion is just genuine people types i'm I'm essentially quite introverted i i love to be on my own more than anywhere else okay i I, i'm really good company (laughs) (laughs) And I know many of you, you know, you get nourished by being alone rather than in crowds of people. You're an introvert. But it can also push over into the area where it's fear and that underconfidence is not a thing of the kingdom of God. It's a fear thing. And you can break that. And it doesn't mean you're going to become loud or brash, but it does mean you'll be dignified and confident. And there's a a difference, isn't there? Um, The atmosphere over your life is... Jesus said, I give you my peace, which means a kind of a wholeness, not just the absence of angst, and, but a, a deep inner confidence, dignity, healing, and wholeness. That's what God came to bring you. So I want you to realize, not over everything, but... Let there be clarity this morning. You might be facing some things in your relationships, your finances, your personal peace, uh, uh, your, your, your body and healing and all these kinds of things, your job, your children, where some of us in the room have got to go, I think that's spiritual. And I'm going to start to treat it as such. I think that is. And we've got to understand this. It's not clouds or, you know, fairy liquid blobs coming against us. There are persons in the form of demons coming against us. Yeah but you have all authority in Christ. Yes. That you You can. You, you, listen, I, uh, a friend of mine used to be a very, very skillful clairvoyant. He used to give readings to Princess Diana, people like that. And he said that the smallest prayer of the weakest saint would completely ruin my ability to read. Understand the power of you yes. just whispering, Jesus. Yes. I mean, sometimes I, you feel, ever feel it come into your room at night, your bedroom? And sometimes it's you, just you've had too much cheese and you've watched the wrong movie and you're a bit, you know. But sometimes it is something that comes yeah. into your room and you just, I, I just, Jesus. I, I like to go and find the place in the room where it feels the thickest. <laughs> you know, and, and all my body is getting the E B G jeebies but I'm standing there. And all that matters is what I put on my lips. Forget how you feel. Faith isn't about how you feel. It's what you do. And I just stand there and I go, Jesus, just, I love you, Jesus. Blood of Jesus, word of Jesus, glory of Jesus, Holy Spirit, fill this place. Fill this place with angels in the name of Jesus. Because, listen, Jesus just groaned and whispered on your lips, defeats the enemy. Doesn't have to be major. Right, so we have weapons of warfare. And, and we need to stand against the enemy. And I just want to touch one area, and we're going to do it this morning. Is that okay? i just going to touch one area where we take authority over atmospheres in our lives. And uh, Numbers 10 verse 9 It not on, on the board, but listen to this. Um, it, it, it says this, when your enemy is oppressing you, stand the trumpet. <laughs> That's good. And, it, and it goes on to say, and God will remember you. When your enemy is oppressing you, make a noise and God will remember you. There's something about praise that's incredibly powerful. And this is the weapon I want to talk about for a few moments this morning. Praise is an incredibly powerful weapon. Weapon. When your enemy is oppressing you, and like I say, when I meet sick people, uh, nine times, if not more, out of ten, I don't for a minute think they're possessed. But I can see that there are forces coming against them to oppress them and to stand against them. And I literally, I have seen them chased away again and again and again. When the enemy comes against you to oppress you, make a noise. I, I meet so many Christians that think the best thing to do is think about your problems or to meditate or, or to lie there. And listen, all of those things are good, but they're not praise. There's something in the dynamic of praise that changes atmospheres. Yeah. You were made to praise. Made to open your mouth. I was reading a book on praise this week, and it's a good theological book on praise, but it uses a simple phrase, uh, praise is extrovert. There's no way around it. There is no introverted praise. Praise is loud and shouty and celebratory. It's a good word, right? And, and dancing and clapping and noise and, right? There's something about praise that's, right? your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does heaven sound like? Next slide, please. Thanks, Sam. When the creatures moved, this is Ezekiel looking into heaven, I heard the sound of their wings like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. John in Revelation says, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. Oh, just get this in your guts. Like the roar Of rushing waters, like a loud peal of thunder, shouting "Hallelujah!" For the Lord God Almighty reigns. I remember being in Lagos, Nigeria, with Reinhard in the year 2000, the biggest crusade he's ever done. And on one service, we saw uh, (laughs) we saw (laughs) uh, over 1.1 million saved in a single service. I remember walking around the crowd of over 1.3 million people with Reinhardt's right-hand man. We were walking around and had, had very sophisticated and, to be honest, ways of underestimating ways of counting the crowd. So it was probably much bigger than that. But we're walking around 1.3 million people. Incredible. Every uh, five minutes, 10,000 more people were walking on to the big ground where we were on. It was enormous. And the first couple of nights were great, but then you start to get on to, now they're getting saved, but now he's getting them filled with the Holy Spirit and into praise. Now I remember the first time Reinhard prayed that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to worship God in tongues. It was a roar. Have you ever seen the pictures of the camera going over the crowd in these moments and you hear this incredible roar from people being filled with heaven, filled with the Holy Spirit. And this sound goes up and, and then the healings start to take place and blind eyes are opening and you see wheelchairs being carried across the crowd and crutches and people being brought to the front and laid down and healing after healing after healing after healing. But the, the thing that, that I'm, I'm going after here is, is the thunder, the roar of the people of God. You were made to roar. Turn to the person next to you and go, ah. I I don't know that you're looking very roary this morning. Yeah, good, good. Not purr, not purr. Roar. (laughs) Something about, it's in Psalms it says, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. We were made to shout. And to roar and to praise and to declare and to speak, right? And it doesn't matter how introverted you are, really, Uh, uh, we're called to declare over our homes when your kids that you're having trouble with or even do it before you have trouble with them, they're off out in school, get round their bedroom and roar. Roar over that pillow, roar over that bed, roar over that schoolwork. When your bank statement comes, put it on the desk and you and your wife roar over it, right? When you're driving down the street and uh, road, wherever you drive and, uh, and, and you know th- this, uh, 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 a depression, a thickness has been coming against you, roar against it. Yeah. Don't, um, I remember driving uh, again and again uh, to, to church, it could be, because you, you can have seasons when it feels like, man, all the forces of hell are coming against you. I'd have times when I'd be driving to church and I just roar. And, and you, you, you mean, what do you mean? Well, I, I just mean I drive and I drive along. And you might want to turn the microphone down, but I'm driving and I go, Hallelujah! Amen. Thank you, sister. <laughs> And you, you kind of, I just refuse to give in to this mamby, pampy, wimpy. Yeah. Yeah. Roar! Yeah. Yeah. Right, we're the people of God. Yeah. And I know, I know it's not 1.3 million, neither is the multitude of heaven, there's a couple of hundred of us here, but we can roar. Yeah. We can roar. And listen, understand this, it's pointless if it's just a bit of human energy or, yeah. you know, yeah. fluff. <laughs> but if we believe that A roar of praise really does does the manifold wisdom of God made known in the heavenlies we refuse for this land not to become ours we refuse. Yes anything standing against us to build the church building. We refuse long-term sickness. We refuse debt. We refuse joblessness. We refuse poor self-esteem in people that have just been trapped by the enemy. People that think they're too fat, too thin, too tall, too short, too ugly or whatever. And when it's all just a nonsense, we refuse the lies of the enemy. We refuse fear. We refuse depression. We roar against the anxiety of the enemy put on people. We roar against him vomiting over people, his disgusting spew that traps people into the, and you just, you know, humanly it's not against flesh and blood, but you want to humanly shake people sometimes, but you know it won't help. So you try and get your hands on the demonic and shake them. Say, kingdom of God, come into this life. Amen. Amen? Amen? The roar of praise. We know all the script. We've done it so many times, I don't want to go over the basics, but, but you know, Paul and Silas in the prison, they decided to sing and declare Derek Prince, a guy with demonic problems, came to him and and Derek was saying, well, we're just having a worship time. And and within a couple of minutes, the guy said, I can't stay here. It's, you know, everything inside me is just going crazy with you guys worshiping. And it was just, just two couples in a room. And Derek Prince said, well, you can either stay and your demons will leave or you can go with your demons. It's up to you. And so he stayed. And I think it was 15 minutes later, the guy was completely free. Demons cannot stand the atmosphere of praise. Why? Because God inhabits the praises of his people. It's just really simple. So we've got to learn to roar. Amen? So onto my last slide. We've got to learn to roar in praise. And and so let me set you up as I'm finishing. Is that all right? And we're going to have a, a little time of prayer and praise and worship. The top scripture there from Genesis 29 is about Leah. Leah was the 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 unloved wife of Jacob and so she was an unloved uh, wife and she was pretty well having good pity parties over it and uh, so she goes on and and she she conceives and she she gives birth to um, uh, Simeon and Levi and Reuben and each time she names them and she talks about her, her misery I'm detached from my husband. Maybe the Lord's seen my misery. Uh, I'm an unloved woman. Literally, those, those things are stated in the Bible. And then something changes when it gets to here, Genesis 29, 35. And this is the fourth time, I believe it was, she, she conceives and gives birth. And she says, it says here, look, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time, this time, I will praise you. I'll praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, which means praise. Then she stopped having children. This time, I will praise him. Pity party, pity party, pity party. This time, I'll praise him. And something changed in her life. Judah was a different child. Judah, the prophecies go on to say, Judah, you will never lose your scepter. All your brothers will bow down to you. David ruled Judah before he ruled the rest of Israel. It was a privileged tribe. Um, the whole story of Jehoshaphat that we'll go into in a minute, it was, it was Judah, the tribe of praise, that saw that victory take place. And of course, just think this for a minute, pity party, pity party, pity party, this time I will praise you. And that's the child from which comes the Messiah. I want you to understand this. When you take your place of pain and make it a place of praise, it becomes a place of plunder. You can pity party all you want to. You're just going to keep going around the same mountain, the same atmosphere, the same destruction. But the day you go, okay, it's still happening. But this time, this time, today, this week, this time, I'm going to praise the Lord. God says, right, we'll turn it into plunder. Let's make it a place where we bring victory and reward for the pain that you've had. I believe God is into revenge. He's into vindication. He's into restoration. He's into retribution. He's into restitution. God comes and he turns our difficulties. So right, if you praise me like Paul and Silas, if you praise me like Jonah, if you praise me like Jehoshaphat, I'm going to turn it into plunder. I lost my job last year. Pity party, pity party. I've lost my job again, but this time I'm going to praise him. My body isn't working again. Oh, darn it. It seems like it's been year after year. But this time I'm going to praise him. Right? My marriage is in difficulty again. But this time, instead of whinging, I'm going to praise him. I'm having difficulty finding my clarity and my purpose and where do I fit? But this time I'm going to praise Him. Depression has come against me again, but this time I'm going to praise Him. It turns the corner of your life when you say, this time I'm going to change my response from the humanist pity party. I'm going to start to go, my God is my God. He will change my life. He will turn my mourning into dancing. He will give me joy. He's my God. Instead of whining and whinging and pity party, I'm going to roar. I'm going to roar. Because when the people of God roar, God says, give them plunder. You look at it in the story of Jehoshaphat. You know it. They're going out in this. The the choir goes out ahead of the the army of Judah. And they're against them. I'm tired. You know that. I'm jet lagged too. They they go against the armies of Moab, Ammon and Mount Seir. And, and listen, verse 24, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert, looked, to, looked towards the vast army, they saw dead bodies because they'd been praising. You know the story. Dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. In other words, they praised and the enemy killed himself. Yeah. Wow. When you roar, all that attack of sickness, depression, debt, joblessness, lack of clarity starts to go into confusion if you say this time. This time when that comes into my room, this time when that comes on a Monday morning again or two o'clock in the night on Wednesday, this time I'm going to roar. This time I'm not going to have a pity party and go, why does it keep coming back? This time I'm going to roar. And it says, so Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder. And they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value. More than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it all. They came to a place of pain and said, right, we're going to make it a place of praise instead of pity. And God then said, okay, I'll make it a place of plunder. And again and again through the scriptures, you're a well-taught church. You'll know again and again and again when you praise, when you roar, God says, okay, I'll respond. He's looking for faith in the earth. And praise is the sound that faith makes. Praise is the sound that faith makes. And not just on a Sunday morning, you've got to praise at home. You've got to praise walking around the street. I mean, I, I go for walks. I put my headphones on and, and I don't shout at the top of my lungs, but there's a roar, right? People already think I'm weird in my village. Yeah, you're walking around at six in the morning and you can see some of the women walking their dogs and thinking, this guy's really weird. He's some (laughs) kind of creepy thing. And then I, morning, you know. Roar over your life. Don't believe everything you think. Instead, believe everything he says. Roar over your life. This time, we're going to praise him.